the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. That is America's greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. So yesterday on my local show, I got to talk to Nani Darwish. Are you familiar with her? She's lived a, a pretty remarkable life. She was born in Egypt, Muslim. Her dad, and I, I know the very, very little bit about this, but her dad uh, was in the uh, was it the palace. What military was it? I guess it was the Egyptian, but he worked in, in Gaza to, to kill the Jews. That's the point. And he did. He killed a bunch. And then some people in Israel killed him. And Nani then started this lifelong quest to understand what the heck was going on. And she became a Christian. So she has a unique perspective growing up Muslim and now being a Christian on the difference between these two um, faiths, if you will. So she wrote a book. I have not read it yet. I've read little parts of it. I haven't read the whole thing, so I can't give it a a, a complete um, you know analysis or uh, suggestion that you should buy it. But based on this interview, it seems pretty interesting. And what I've read, it seems I'm going to buy it. I haven't read it, but, I'm, but I bought it. Uh, it's called Holy Different. W H O L L Y. Holy Different. Why I chose uh, biblical values over uh, Islam values. And just a, a couple of examples of the chapter, um, the truth will set you free versus lying is an obligation. The fruits of the spirit versus the fruits of Islam. Uh, how Islam views family versus Christian Christianity, uh, views marriage, views feminism, things like that. So pretty interesting and uh, if you're interested in this stuff, then then I think uh, maybe I'd uh, humbly suggest you to move in that direction and, and check this book out. Uh, again, I haven't read it, but Nani talking to her, it was pretty interesting. So I want to talk about Islam for uh, for a second here and why, because this is what this book is about. Oh, and then at the end, it ends with, you know, what do we do about this? Because her point is that there's no coexistence here. It's impossible. They're not just different. They're opposites. But we have a culture here in America that, again, tolerance, as we talked about in the last hour, is the highest virtue, even if the people you're being tolerant towards want to kill you, or at the very least are the exact opposite of the culture that you live in. So we'll give an example of this apathy that the left has against Islamic extremism and Islamism and Islam and Muslim as, uh, as Noni has known it and knows what it is. So do you remember last week or two weeks ago, we talked about Kamala Harris. So she's a new Senator of California and how the media is desperately trying to make Kamala Harris a thing. They tried with Chelsea Clinton for about a month or so. And, and everyone's like, all right, <laughs> no. And finally the media moved on from her, I think for good. But now they've moved on to Kamala Harris because she's the whole package. Kamala Harris. Oh, she's a woman and black. And she has a personality, unlike Hillary. So they're really trying to lift her up and and make her a household name. Now, the first step in making Kamala Harris a household name is to hold her up as a victim. 
So they've written a lot of articles in the last few weeks uh, in, in newspapers and in People magazine, right? So it's even broken out of the echo chamber that is, uh, is you know, the news media and the People magazine. Uh, but all these articles about white men interrupting her during Senate hearings and how she's such an incredible, she's such a big victim, and but look how brave she is by soldiering on. And they just do this. It's just a nice way to get her name out there. Now, as we talked about, I think a week or two ago, that same media doesn't care much when Betsy DeVos is interrupted by white men. In fact, that's cheered because she's an evil Republican. Anyway, so Ayan Hirsi Ali, I bet you're familiar with her. She also has lived a remarkable life, born in, I think, Somalia. She was able to flee, became a member of the Dutch parliament, and now she travels the world speaking out against Islam and against female genital mutilation and against oppression for women, oppression of women. So she's an actual women's rights activist who grew up in Muslim culture. So she, Ayan Hirsi Ali, and someone from the Muslim reform movement wrote an editorial in the New York Times. And if I can just quote a little bit of it here. She said, journalists, politicians, and everyday Americans debated what the shushing of Kamala Harris signified about our still sexist culture. But the very next day, Senator Harris took her seat in front of us as a member of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. We were there to testify about the ideology of political Islam or Islamism. Now, worth noting, this is the same day, this is in the afternoon, that Congressman Scalise was shot. And 20 congressmen could have been killed that day. If it wasn't for the police officers over there, 20 congressmen would be dead. Rand Paul would be dead. Right? I mean, like, unbelievable about what could have happened. Same day. This, this, this hearing that Ayan Hirsi Ali was at, it was the same day that that happened. And just before the hearing, a man wearing a Muslim uh, prayer cap stood up and heckled these two women who were about to speak. So Ayan Hirsi Ali says, we were girding ourselves for tough questions but they never came. The Democrats on the panel, including Senator Harris and three other Democratic female senators, did not ask either of us a single question. And this wasn't a case of benign neglect. At one point, Senator McClask- McClaskill said she took issue with the theme of the hearing itself. Anyone who twists or distorts religion To a place of evil is an exception to the rule, she said. We should not focus on religion. I would definitely recommend Nani Darwish's book to her. But here's the key line. This is why I bring it up. What happened that day, Hirsi Ali says, was emblematic of a deeply troubling trend among progressives when it comes to confronting the brutal brutal reality of Islamic extremism and what it means for women in many Muslim communities here at home and around the world when it comes to the pay gap abortion services, and workplace discrimination. Progressives have much to say. But we're still waiting for a march against honor killings, child marriages, polygamy, sex slavery, or female genital mutilation. In the rubric of identity politics, our status as women of color is canceled out by our ideas, which are labeled conservative as if opposition to violent jihad, sex slavery, genital mutilation, and child marriage were a matter of left and right. This not only silences us, but it also puts beyond the pale of liberalism a basic concern for human rights and the individual rights of women abused in the name of Islam. Will these Democratic 
women senators find their voices and join us in opposing Islamist extremism and its war on women. So their point is that Kamala Harris complains that she's silenced during committee hearings. But in this case, she was silent herself. And this is an issue that no one should be silent about. I look forward to, uh, to reading this book, Wholly Different. There was a page I wanted to read, if I can, real quick. Um, so she said there's this push to replace the term Judeo-Christian with Abrahamic to include Islam in, in, you know, to, to make this point that we all share common values. Uh, there's this one line here. Gosh, turn where is it? Here it is. Most people are unaware of the context in which Islam was born. Islam was created 600 years after Christianity, not to affirm the Bible, but to discredit it. Not to coexist with the people of the book, Jews and Christians, but to replace them. Right? And now we, as they continue to do that, and that's what this book is about, as they continue to try to do those two things, to discredit and replace, we embrace and love and tolerate and encourage. It's crazy. It's suicidal. Wholly different, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly different by Nani. It's N-O-N-I-E, Noni, really. Noni Darwish. Have you, um, this actually ties in, because as Ayan Hirsi Ali, she said, we are women of color, so you think we'd be listened to, right? Because we're pretty high on the victim scale, women of color. But because we have an idea that is, for some reason, labeled conservatives, conservative, we're discredited and we're silenced. And no one cares what we have to say, even though we are advocating against or about, we're talking about a, a real war on women, like an actual war on women. But because we're conservative, no one listens to us. So what is this hierarchy? Like, how does this work? Have you ever heard the term intersectionality? This is a really annoying thing, but we have to talk about this. It's really important you know about this. What is intersectional? You, maybe you've heard, like, this is a major buzzword on college campuses. Intersectional. What does that mean? This is the victim hierarchy. This is how some groups are on it and some aren't. This is how uh, women who've had their genitals mutilated and get stoned to death for being raped are not on the victim scale, but Beyonce is. You're like, how, how, can, how can that possibly be? That's intersectionality. We'll talk about that next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800 
Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's Hans Fien, one of my favorite writers today. I don't get to see much of his stuff, but when he does uh, put something out there, when I, I always see it on the Federalist website. Uh, I think he nails it. So did you notice after Scalise was shot, Congressman Scalise was shot, uh, progressives who were desperate to change the subject talked about how one of the Capitol Hill security guards who took down the shooter was a gay black woman. And progressives went nuts about this for some reason. George Takei on MSNBC said that Scalise, once he gets out of the hospital, must now see the errors of his conservative ways because his life was saved by a gay black woman. Which is weird because Scalise has never made the point that gay people can't be police officers or shouldn't be police officers or are incapable of being brave or sacrificing to save someone's life or can't shoot a bad guy. Like I don't, I don't get the irony there, right? There's a bunch of like, Oh, isn't it ironic? This Republican saved by a gay black woman. I don't know. I don't know what's ironic about that at all, but in the world of identity politics, Crystal Griner, that's her name, Crystal Griner, is only known as Special Agent Gay Black Woman. We are all group identity. And that's what intersectionality is. Intersectionality is identity politics 3.0. So 1.0 is we are told, and have been told, and most people believe that there are two classes. You have the privileged, right? Those are the oppressors, rich, white, straight. And then you have the disadvantaged, the oppressed, poor, black, gay. Two classes. Identity politics 2.0 is when you're told that your self-chosen identity is everything. It is your humanity. It is your soul. It is your life. It is everything about you. So if you prefer to have sex with men, if you are a man who prefers to have sex with other men, You are a gay man. Your gayness is your entire identity in every way. It is your essence as a human being. It is something you should march in the street about because you're so proud about it. It's not just something you do. It is everything about you. That's identity politics 2.0. Your self-identity is your humanity. Identity politics 3.0 is intersectionality. That's where we are right now. And this is the idea that all the people with their various identities are all interconnected. And, and, it, and, and we have this elaborate series of tunnels that connect the oppressed against the oppressors. And now any oppression against a woman, it's really oppression against black people and gay people and Muslims and everyone because it's all connected. Now there's a lot to this. I mean, there's, there's college majors dedicated to this, so I can't give the whole thing in six minutes. But to relate it back to what happened with the congressman and, and Crystal Griner, one aspect of these, these elaborate tunnels that connect all of us and all, or all the oppressed is it also means that your various identities can't be separated from each other. So the goodness produced by Crystal Griner, the police officer, it's because Crystal Griner is a lesbian, which means gay people are amazing in every way. And if you oppose gay marriage, then you're oppressing everyone. And it's like, whoa, 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 how did, huh? How did we get, but those are the tunnels, the underground tunnels that everyone, that we can 
driving real fast like that. And you're like, how did we get from great job police officer to I'm for traditional marriage and I'm oppressing all gay people? It happened lightning fast. How did that happen? That's intersectionality. Now, notice it never works the other way. So let's say George Takei uh, was at a, a Star Trek convention. And a crazed fan of George Takei uh, what was going to stab him. Right, Wanted to stab him at a convention. If the security guard there was a Christian conservative and saved George Takei's life, no one would ever ask George Takei to reconsider his support of gay marriage or to reconsider his views on Christians. Right? Intersectionality never works in a conservative's favor. So again, if we think about these tunnels and think of the privileged identities, the white, straight, male, all that stuff, right? Oppressive by nature. And because all these identities are connected, any good that you have in you is tainted by your oppressive group identity. That's how intersectionality works, which brings us back to Ayan Hirsi Ali. We have a woman who grew up in, in Muslim countries, had horrible things done to her, horrible things that are under women all the time, every day in these countries, was able to escape and now speaks out against things like forced child marriages and sex slavery and female genital mutilation and pushing gay people off buildings. But people like Kamala Harris don't listen to her because for whatever reason, these are now viewed as conservative things, which I guess is good, but it makes it makes her like, like so she's has a good message but it's silenced because it's tainted now. Now she is a part of the oppress, oppressors. But Jan Hersey Ali says, hold on, I'm a woman of color. Mm. Yeah, but that's tainted now because you have a conservative idea. A conservative idea about what? Well, you're against extremist Islam. And that's one of the oppressed groups. So if you're against one of the oppressed groups, that makes you an oppressor. So, sorry, you've lost your victim status completely. Huh? That's intersectionality. Again, a lot more to it, but that's the gist. We can't just be people. Crystal Griner can't be Crystal Griner. She has to be special Asian black woman. Steve Scalise can't be Steve Scalise. He has to be congressman, homophobe, McBigot face. Just because that's how it has to be. That's how we're told it has to be. Of course it doesn't. Let me end here with a quote from Hans. He says, perhaps when Scalise and Griner have healed from their wounds, they'll sit down and have a conversation about gay marriage. If they do, I'm sure they will view each other as friends who disagree rather than enemies in class warfare. And I'm sure that instead of calling each other the straight white male and the gay black woman, they'll call each other by name. We ought to do the same. But the identity police pimps won't allow it. Don't fall into that, that trick, into that lie. So there's your intersectionality 101. It's crazy. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Coming up next, Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later. I just realized we never talked about the healthcare bill at all. Maybe that's okay. I figure there'll be other times to do that. Move forward. Um, so I was talking to a friend of mine who, I guess this could also, you know, earlier, first hour, we had a segment entitled Tolerance versus Intolerance. I suppose this could be entitled the same, but I'm going to put this in the intersectionality category here. I was talking to a friend who four, tried four times to be a foster parent here in California, went through the process. Uh, one time they told him the house wasn't safe because I think they were in an apartment. The apartment wasn't safe because the stairs were too dangerous or, or no, there were stairs. I think that's what it was. There were stairs or they were on the second floor or something. They're like, okay. So they moved. And then the second time they were denied because there were rose, rose bushes in the backyard and those were too dangerous and they were denied. And it's like, what? And, and I, all stories like that. And I don't know if that's normal operating procedure for people, but are you kidding me? So I have two foster care stories I want to share. And again, they'll, they'll relate to the to what we were just talking about. First about the shooter, the, the guy who tried to kill 20 congressmen. He was the foster father of two girls. The first, a 17-year-old, committed suicide in 1996 by pouring gasoline on herself and setting herself on fire after a few months of living with the Hodgkinsons. Poured gasoline on herself, lit herself on fire. The second, so my buddy couldn't get a, couldn't become a foster parent because he had a rose bush in his backyard. This guy gets another foster person, foster kid. So in 2006, he was arrested for domestic battery and discharge of a firearm after he stormed into a neighbor's house where his teenage daughter was visiting with a friend, punched his daughter's 19-year-old friend in the face with a closed fist, then, then left the house, and then that, that girl's boyfriend came over, and he fired a shotgun in the air. And that's when he lost custody of that foster daughter. You kidding me? the heck is going on? As James Garrity said, we're talking about gun control. How about we start with trying some violent maniac control? So this guy can be a foster dad. Keep that in mind as I share this next story with you. Illinois. Not only, real quick, not only can that guy become a foster parent, but after the first one commits suicide by lighting herself on fire, he gets another daughter. Okay, keep that in mind. Illinois. The Department of Children and Family Services, they've created a new policy for their, uh, for their department, which promotes the, quote, well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning children and youth in the department's care. Okay, fine, whatever. But here's the problem. The department says that they, quote, this is, this is their policy. They will not tolerate 
will not tolerate exposing LGBTQ children to staff or providers who are not supportive of children and youth's right to self-determination of sexual gender identity. So the state of Illinois will not tolerate exposing children to the care of people who believe that a human being is either a male or a female and cannot become the other will not tolerate you. And if you don't agree that gender is fluid, then you can't be a foster parent and you can't work at this department as a staff member. You must be LGBTQ affirming in order to love and protect and take care of these kids. Isn't that amazing? So think about this. So my wife and I, we've, we just, we've been eight month old now. So we're starting our family here, but we've talked very generally about maybe one day adopting or being a foster parent or something like that. Maybe that's in store for us. We'll see what God plans. But a week or so ago, we went to Barnes and Noble. We're just buying some books for Jack and uh, found a bookshelf of Christian books. So we bought uh, Noah's Ark, right? a kid's book of Noah's Ark right? and other Bible stories. If we were interviewed in the state of Illinois to become foster parents, we would have a home inspection and we'd be off the list. We'd be off the list because we have a Bible. We have Christian kids books in our kids room. They have zero tolerance for people like my wife and I. One last quote. All children, they say, have a right to self-determination of gender and sexual orientation and individual choices about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression should be viewed as developmental milestones, not problematic behavior. Right? So your boy starts wearing dresses. That's a developmental milestone, not problematic behavior. The role of adults is simply to facilitate exploration of any LGBTQ matters through an affirming approach by being open, non-judgmental, and empathetic. Thus, when children explore, express, explore or express a sexual orientation other than heterosexual, and or a gender identity that is different from their assigned birth. The staff, providers, and foster parents must support and respect the child's exploration without any effort to direct or guide them to any specific outcome for their exploration. So basically no wisdom. You can't provide any wisdom or direction to a child. (laughs) Great. So everyone working in this department and all the foster parents have to affirm to kids that it's perfectly normal to be transgender for, you know, eight-year-olds. So this is how quickly these activist groups and their ideas go from fringe to mainstream, right? I mean, this, this is now official policy in the state of Illinois. When, what, a year ago, was anyone talking about transgender anything? Like, and, and here now it's policy. But if I may make this point again, I, perhaps you, can't be a foster parent because you're a Christian. Hodgkinson gets two foster kids. Well, at least he's not a threat to their gender expression ideals and whatever. So why is this like this? Because of intersectionality. Because you're a Christian, you're evil. Any good that you may be, or good things you may do or love you may give to these kids is canceled out because you have a Christian 
belief. You are now an oppressor. LGBTQ kids, they're oppressed. So they, they will not put someone who's oppressed with an oppressor. That's intersectionality. Here's a real world consequence of it. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three Slater Radio on Twitter. Um, maybe we can do some healthcare stuff. Come, nah. Let me share this story instead. I got a way better story. We'll do this next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders, we could talk about the healthcare bill uh, if you want. I'm sure there'll be plenty of time to to do that. Uh, The very short of it is, I haven't read the bill because it's going to change before it ever gets to the point. But um, it it won't. It's it's not ideal. The question isn't is it a good bill or not. The question is, are we going to settle with incrementalism or not? Uh, Because it's definitely not ideal. It's not a good bill. There's no way. Because it's never going to address the main things that need to be addressed. It's not going to address um, what insurance is supposed to be. And that's catastrophic. It's not supposed to pay for everything. It's supposed to pay for uh, emergencies. Uh, It's not going to address price transparency. We're also, in America, not going to change our lifestyle habits. Right? It's it's not going to happen. Or at least can't be changed with a bill. Um, It's going to do nothing to increase the supply of doctors which is a major problem in this country. Uh, so, I mean, it's not going to do those things. So, I mean, we're, just, we're just dealing with the margins here. And, you know, what good is that? So, that's my initial assessment. We'll spend more time on that later. But I'd rather end here. We can bookmark the show, bookend the show with another military story. We kicked off with two incredible stories of heroism and sacrifice. Stunning. Um I don't have time to go to it again, but check out the beginning of the show. Very beginning of the show. Uh, just go to the uh, blaze.com slash radio and listen to the first two stories of the show. Just mind boggling things. But I want to share these two now wrap up. Uh, did you hear about the Canadian sniper? He hit a target, he hit his target from 3,450 meters away. That's two miles. <laughs> He's in Northern Iraq, killed an ISIS guy two miles away it took 10 seconds for the bullet to get there think about that i'm going to put 10 seconds on the clock here right so right now think ready (laughs) bullets going flying flying through the air and dead what impossible the things that need to be taken into effect, taken into account for snipers doesn't, it, it seems, it seems like it's a thing that would never happen. Like, and could, they could never, ever work, especially at two miles away. So here's an example. At that distance, a breeze of six miles per hour would divert the bullet nine meters from the target. 
30 feet. Now, what's crazier about that is because there's no way from in, in that distance of two miles that the breeze would be a constant breeze the whole time. Right? So some places it may be two miles per hour. Some places it may be zero. Some places it may be seven. Some places it may be six. How, how can you account for that? If you're supposed to aim 30 feet, so think 30 feet, that's three football nets or, or uh, football nets, basketball nets. So three basketball nets away from your target. So there's your target straight ahead. You're going to aim 30 feet away and then shoot it. And then the breeze will bend it and put it right in the guy's head. Come on. How can that possibly be? You have to account at that distance for the curvature of the earth. You have to account for the fact that the earth is spinning. (laughs) So I did two seconds of research on this. So by no means is this meant to be a comprehensive guide. And I'm sure someone listening right now is a sniper. Um, but just just a little bloop, little drop here to just boggle your mind. You have to consider, if you're a sniper, where you are on the planet. Because the earth is not perfectly round. So if you have to account for the, the curvature of the earth and the rotation of the earth, that's different based on where you are on the planet. So if you're firing a bullet from latitude 45 degrees, which is about our northern border with Canada... So let's say you're going to shoot a bullet from there, north or south. The drop of the bullet is going to be 392 inches. But if you shoot east, the drop's going to be 388 inches. If you shoot to the west, the drop's going to be 396 inches. So that's a difference there of eight inches, depending on what direction you're shooting. And that's only north, south, east, west. What if you're shooting anywhere, any other direction, like northeast or whatever? How, how can you possibly account for that? Oh, and by the way, the target's moving. Like, it's, it's, it's to the point, and if you think about it for a minute, it's to the point where if someone said, oh, yeah, we're going to be a sniper rifle and, uh, you know, we're going to shoot people um, from, uh, you know, a couple miles away, you'd be like, oh, no, that's, that's, that can't be done. Move on. Let's think of something else. Someone on Ace of Spades wrote, it must be tremendously demoralizing circumstance. When every now and then somebody around you gets shot and you have no idea where the bullet came from and probably didn't even hear it. Imagine from these terrorist perspective, you have these ISIS guys all standing around and then one of them just falls, just gets shot in the head and you didn't even hear it. What do you do? Stunning. One last story about the military. Uh, You know, we shot down a Syrian jet the other day. That is the first air-to-air kill by a manned U.S. aircraft since 1999. Think about it, 18 years. So the question is, why are dogfights so rare today? You've heard of an ace before, right? That's uh, a, if you've watched uh, Top Gun, that's a pilot who has at least five confirmed kills. And so if you have five confirmed kills, you're considered an ace. There are no serving pilots who hold that title. So no pilot still flying today in the military are, is considered an ace. No one has five kills. Why not? Basically because we're really, really good. In the Iraq war in 91, Iraq lost 33 planes. They shot down one of ours, 33 to one. It got so bad for them that at the end of the war, the Iraqi pilots were sent up and they just flew to Iran <laughs> because they knew they, they, knew they were going to die. 
And, but they had to go somewhere, right? They couldn't just stay. Otherwise, they would get shot right there. So so they had to go, and they're like, well, we'll go to Iran. And well, Iran, huh? Three years earlier was the Iran-Iraq war. So it's not like that was even a place you could be guaranteed safety either. But it's better than flying around with the Americans because clearly I'm going to die there. The second Iraq war, Saddam Hussein didn't even send up his air force. Gaddafi in 2011 didn't send up his air force because there's just no hope. You don't even try. That's why no one has any, no, that's why no one's an ace. And that's why we, we haven't shot down any planes because no one's even putting them up in the air anymore. Which is a nice lesson for the rest of our military. Because we haven't decided to win the wars that we've been in recently. Like we have decided to win all air-to-air combat. And when we decide not to win our wars, it emboldens the people who hate us. People have always hated us. Countries have always hated us. But in the past, they never dare fight us. Now they know that they can shoot at us and we won't shoot back. And that emboldens them every time. Not up in the air, though, at least. Slater Crusaders, have a great weekend. Mike Slater showed the Plays Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.